0: Good morning. Oh, it's good to see you. It really is. Um, Missed you last week and I always like to say thanks to Mark who uh, shared message. Uh, I know God was doing some amazing things in his life and his world and so Mark, thanks for, uh, for uh, filling in uh, last week. Got a chance to kind of pull away and, and do some preparations actually for some teaching uh, that'll lead us up to Easter actually, kind of excited about that. But today we're going to start a, a kind of an Advent series. We're calling it the Gifts of Christmas. And if you do have your Bibles, we're going to be in, in a kind of an unusual place for Christmas, but we're in an Old Testament book called Ruth. And I'm going to give you a little extra time to go there because that's probably where the pages are stuck in your Bible. Uh, if you don't know where it's at, it's over to the left, uh, probably near the front end, and that is uh, by Judges and a little book right after the book of Judges. It's only four chapters, but we're, we're going to spend most of our time there today. Hey, I want to celebrate some things. Can I do that with you today? Just some testimonies, some great stuff that, that's been happening. Uh, man, we got, we got together earlier in the week, and I just heard story after story about some cool stuff that you guys have been uh, doing at, at Thanksgiving We were mobilized to try to make a difference in some people's lives and and so just the scope of what you did, first of all, many of you prepared uh, Thanksgiving baskets and we delivered over 80 baskets to families uh, that really, really loved and appreciated. So thank you guys, it was awesome what you did, uh, it really made a difference. This has been something our student ministry has done for a number of years, and so they've delivered usually a dozen or a dozen and a half uh, baskets, but man, because of life groups, so many life groups got involved, uh, the scope was much larger. Uh, The other thing was, uh, maybe you'd seen over in the corner these boxes, what we were preparing for Samaritan Purse's uh, Christmas shoe boxes, right, and these are distributed all over the world to to children, and North Shore, Uh, delivered 570 shoeboxes. They were, that was amazing. The distribution center from what I hear was kind of overwhelmed when we brought the truck up and started unloading all these boxes, and so I was really, really proud of uh, North Shore for that. If you don't know, they they contain a gospel presentation in each one of these, and there are ministries and churches all over the world that are making connections with these children. It's not just kind of hand out a gift and say, see you later. They follow up on these, and they follow uh, through a discipleship track that takes, uh, I believe it's a dozen weeks, and so so there's gonna be great fruit as a result of that. And then just one more thing. Um, a year ago, we had the unique opportunity to serve Christmas dinner on, one of the, uh, on the ship that was here at our port here in Everett. And as many of you know, Greg Chaffin is our pastor. One of our pastors uh, has a military connection there. And we've, God's really opened up some doors uh, in relationship that's there. And so a lot of you volunteered for that. In fact, Greg told me that he had to turn away volunteers. I thought, who's gonna volunteer on Christmas Day, right? But many of you did and said, you know, I'd love to uh, help serve. Well, Greg told me this week that the chaplain contacted us again, and we may have upwards of four ships this year uh, to be able to bless them with this Christmas dinner. So if you got turned away last year, here's your chance, okay? You can uh, see Pastor Greg. You can't miss him out in the lobby. Uh, and you will start taking names. We're not exactly sure of how many we can do or, you, or, or we're gonna need, but if you'd like to be on the list and, and be touched or contacted if you're available, uh, that, that could be a huge blessing as well. So good things, I just wanna say thank you guys. I mean, God's doing some things. We don't hear those stories enough. We don't celebrate enough, but God's at work here through the life of this church and ministry and, and really impacting a lot, and this is just scratching the surface. We, there are so many more things we could uh, could pass on to you. The other thing I wanted to do just before we dive into our study, uh, today is the first day that we're making our workbooks, 40 Days in the Word, available to you. And I want to say just, uh, again, a word about we're going to be doing a study starting January for six weeks, uh, and it is going to take us into a deeper dive into how to study, how to glean from the Word of God, how to grow in love with the Word and to learn, learn it, and hopefully to live it out, to act on it in ways like we never have before. Uh, I don't know that in my years here I've ever been as intentional about guiding us through just the nuts and bolts of how to read God's Word in a way that's going to, you know, derive a, a lot of spiritual nourishment, and so we're going to do this together. Our groups are aligned uh, according to this, but we are opening up to uh, even broader scope of hosts, and if you might be interested in finding out what this might look like, that you might take two or three other people and walk through this together. This is a unique study in that we're going to have the messages that will align, but we're also going to have video teaching available to you. And We'll teach you how to download that and, and how to access. Uh, we bought a license and so the first 20-25 minutes of your study time are going to be a, a teaching that will walk you through the workbooks. And These are what the workbooks look like. Uh, we've made these available, we've supplemented the price so that we make it affordable, hopefully for everybody. Uh, $5, uh, they're normally probably 15 or something like that. But if, after the service, if you're ready to pick yours up, you just go out this door and there's a little cove over here where we'll have some volunteers that are gonna make this available, okay? Once you start looking, you're gonna see how it's all laid out for you. And if you're interested in guiding two or three or other, a you know, few other folks through this as a host, uh, we've got training available, and we were going to do it just this weekend. Uh, we've already done it between the services, but we're going to make it available again next weekend, uh, both in between the 9 and 11 o'clock service and then after the 11 o'clock service. So two more opportunities. If you're interested, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. You can look at it. It'll give you the times, and if you want to hand that to one of the folks out at Connection Central afterwards, they'll prepare uh, that for you. Be praying for this. I- I'm convinced. I really am that nothing will change your life more and transform you spiritually than uh, growing the habit of studying the Word of God and then putting it into practice. That is how lives change. And there's many of us here this morning that have never taken that step of faith. You depend on somebody else to do that for you, like me or uh, uh, maybe your group leader or whatever, but you've never gone to the Word yourself on a consistent basis. And if that's never been modeled for you, and, um, and, and I know I grew up that way. I never had anybody that really modeled, and that's a hard habit to develop. And friends, a habit doesn't develop one week or two weeks. That's why we're doing 40 days. That's about how long it takes to really get something into your life and in, into your habit. And so uh, be praying for this. I think this could, this could have an impact on North Shore like nothing we've ever done before. So we're looking forward to that after the first of the year, okay? Well, we are in the book of Ruth. And uh, as you can see from uh, the title today, uh, we're talking about the gifts of Christmas, and we're talking about hope today. Uh, what a wonderful word, but yet when you think about it, there's a lot of folks who are desperate for hope. Wouldn't you agree? I'm talking to a lot of folks who are going through some pretty tough times, and that is the one thing that I just, I just really felt the Lord drawing to, to offer some some hope even through the word and through what God's activity is in our lives and there's a great story we're, we're gonna be looking at, but so I was kind of going down this road. I, I got to think the other day, Annette and I were out on a, we'd do a date night, you know, usually Friday nights, and, and so uh, we were just talking and she says, what was your favorite Christmas? And, and it got me thinking and, and so that kind of spurred on a little conversation. We didn't do it then, but I thought subsequently, what was my most disappointing Christmas? Do you have one that kind of uh, kind of rises? What was your most disappointing Christmas? And immediately when I, I thought about that question, I was taken back. Of course, I'm kind of talking about when we were kids, right? Um, but my brother Doug and I, he's the one next closest to me. I'm the youngest of the five, and he was the one closest. He went to passed away this last year. But Doug and I would be... Uh, be at home on Thursday nights when my folks would go to choir practice. They were part of the Methodist church and they were in the choir. So every Thursday night they were gone. That's when we got in our most trouble, by the way, (laughs) while they were gone. And uh, about three weeks before Christmas, I remember us going snooping around the house and in the closets and and looking to see if there were any any presents we might be able to find and what was up. And sure enough, we looked under the I looked under the bed. I can still visualize going under my folks' bed, and there it was, and they were unwrapped. And, and I just remember thinking, why did I do this? Because for the next three weeks, it took away all the anticipation, but, but you know, really the truth is, it took away any hope. You, you kind of knew what was there, and yeah, it was okay, but... There was no anticipation, no hope, uh, you know, for something that you really, really wanted or, you know, you, to think about that. And of course, you can't tell your parents, you know, that you found it and that you need to get me something else because now I know it. you know, that did not work, right? And so it just, it really kind of blew the bubble of uh, as a kid that, that, by the way, any confessions? Did any of the rest of you ever find something you weren't supposed to? <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. I'm not alone in this, am I? You know what, what that felt like, right? Uh, it's funny because as adults, as adults, we can kind of have this anticipation, and sometimes we don't get what we were hoping for. And, you know, just the truth is, it still disappoints us. We just hide it better. We disguise it better, though, as adults, don't we? I remember as a kid, there were two categories of gifts that we would get. There were the kind that you needed and then the kind that you wanted, Right? <laughs> And they weren't the same, usually, right? What you wanted, you, you know, it, it's like like I want, a, I want a, an iPhone, you say, you know, for Christmas, and then you get the box and it's just the right size, and it weighs just about the right, and you've got this hope and anticipation, you open it up and it's, it's nose clippers or something like that, you know? <laughs> you know, those super-duper kind that go where no hair has ever gone before, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. and. Um, and, and you kind of just get deflated, and you're thinking, oh, man. And yet, the question I kind of want us to wrap ourselves around today is, is when, when something like that happens in life, when life throws something at you, that you, it's like, a, you, you know, you're hoping for this, and then all of a sudden you open it up, and boom, man. It wasn't what you, what you expected. It wasn't what you wanted. Does that impact your hope, you know on an ongoing basis on a long-term basis some of you this year has been really tough and i've walked down the road with many of you this year and as as life just just happens you know they there i know there's probably some young adults here that have finished college and you're looking just for that right job and that job hasn't unfolded yet the way that you dreamed or or, or really wanted some couples are here today and they hope by this christmas that you'd be pregnant or that you'd have a baby and that hasn't happened, and and it's just kind of it's it, it's kind of aching your heart. Some of you have gone through the pain of miscarriage, and it's a very private thing. But boy, it is a it is a very very painful time. And this season, for whatever, it just kind of accentuates some of the losses. Some of you have lost loved ones. This week, uh, we've got a family uh, from our 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 church here that uh, on Tuesday found out that they lost their daughter to a car accident back in Wichita, their middle daughter, uh, Paul and Heather Warns, and we just want to keep them in our prayers. It's just nothing harder, nothing nothing worse than that. And, and yet, you know, the list could go on and on and on, these scenarios could, could go on, and yet the real question is, is not that these things are gonna to happen to us and, and that they're gonna to, going to hit us hard sometimes but the real question is, how do we respond to them? What is it that the Lord brings into that scenario that truly can bring you hope? And this is what I wanted you to hear today, a promise. Before we even get into this other story, listen to this promise that the Lord gives us in the book of, of Romans and what his desire, what his heart is. Romans fifteen thirteen, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Friends, he's not going to just dole it out, just drop by drop. He wants us to abound in hope. And yet, t- today, in all honesty, does that describe where you're at? Maybe you came in today with some of those same challenges, losses, discouragements, setbacks, whatever. Do you have the hope that the Lord is offering? And... Um, and that's what kind of prompted me to, to go to this story that we're going to look at today. Um, before we jump into it, could we just pray and ask the Lord through that Holy Spirit to, to help us realize that power of, of hope? Could we do that? Lord, you, I know that you're in this room right now. Your word says so, where two or three are gathered, and there's certainly more than that. And so we know that you're here, we know that you know our situations, you know our story is plain, it's, it's laid out there before you. You know our heartache, you know sometimes the pain, sometimes the worry, the fear, the anxiety that sometimes uh, you know, goes along with all this. And over and over and over again, Lord, you try to remind us that, that you're in control, that all things that we uh, encounter somehow can be orchestrated to work for your glory and for your good and for our good what we need not necessarily what we want but what we need so today I just pray that somehow you will take your word uh, kind of fashion it and fit it just for our heart and our situation today and that when we go from here today we will have our heads lifted high in praise as we look to you um, the author and the finisher of our faith that we just trust you'll use your word to increase So this is what we ask for, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We are, uh, we're in this little book of Ruth, it's only four chapters long, and if you're not familiar with it, uh, it is a book that was written around the time of the judges, and in the sequence of of, uh, Israel's history, the judges were kind of the first medium in which God used to instruct his people and guide kind of the governance of the people. Israel would probably be called a theocracy. In other words, God was their ruler. God was their, their authority, but he used his instruments. And in this season, it was called Judges. This is like Gideon and Samson and, uh, uh, and then eventually Samuel. So it precedes the period of the kings. Remember, it was Samuel that they, they got to basically identify their first king, Saul, and then David Non. So that's the period that we're looking at, and as the curtain kind of opens up, if you're looking at uh, the sequence or the outline that uh, you got, the first thing you notice that there was a famine in Israel. Uh, Look at verse one. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Well, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrahites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. Okay? Let me, let me pause there just a moment and give you a, a bit of a background so you can appreciate who these people are. First of all, they're in the Promised Land. Okay, Bethlehem, you know, just, uh, just south of Jerusalem, a few miles, uh, small village, and. Uh, a famine comes on. Now, we don't know. It doesn't say whether that was due to judgment. Often famines were sent to get their attention, and, uh, but times were hard. Usually when there wasn't enough rain or water, then of course the crops wouldn't grow and they wouldn't be able to sustain themselves. What I find interesting about this story, and you wouldn't know this unless you kind of dug a little deep into the meaning of these names that you're given. The dad's name was Elimelech, and it And it literally means, God is my king. God is my king. Now the irony is, is Elimelech doesn't act like God is his king because he takes his family from the promised land and he moves them over to Moab. Now that says something. Uh, I don't know if you understand, but Moab, throughout all of Scripture, is basically synonymous to the enemy of God. It's used almost symbolically. Whenever you hear Moab, you just know that's God's enemy. You've heard me maybe mention uh, Psalm 60 before. I think I, I reference it there. But it says, uh, in the Psalm it says, and God used Moab. He says, Moab is my wash basin. Now what does that mean? He means that sometimes God uses his enemy to purify our hearts. And has anybody ever had that happen? where he brings somebody into your life and, and scenario that you just, man, you can't stand, and yet God uses that very thing to teach you his grace and his love, and he kind of, it's like a, a refiner's fire, and it perfects you, it purifies you. Moab was used in Israel just like that, mo- multiple times. He would allow the enemy to come and overtake Israel to get their attention and draw them back to God and to purify them. That's Moab, but they're foreigners, they're pagans. And Elimelech moves his family to Moab to kind of bail them out, if you will, of their circumstance. He he wasn't trusting God. So that's kind of, you can just kind of read even by the suggestion there. Naomi's name means pleasure or uh, sweetness. Okay, tuck that away because that'll come back in just a moment. But her two sons, this is what gets me. Her two sons' name were Malon and Kilion, and you know, you know what the sons' names mean? Malon means sickness, and Kilion means dying. Now, how would you like to name your kids? Sickness and dying. It's kind of like, hey, I want you to meet my son, pneumonia, man. Here, okay. here. <laughs> I want you to. Uh, it doesn't. It, it doesn't make sense. And I, I would just advise you that probably not good names to you know name name your kids, especially in light of what happens. And so what, what does happen? Let's pick up the story in verse three. Um, it says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Well, these took Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. I don't know where they get these names from. <laughs> Orpah. It's like something from Lord of the Rings or something like that, you know? I, um, but Ruth, okay, and she's gonna be kind of our heroine. Um, They lived there about 10 years, and then both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Guys, this is about as bad as it gets right here, okay? It's not only does she lose her husband, you know, kind of her source of, of security and provision and all of this, but then it would pass on to her sons, and now her sons are gone. It's almost like the story of Job, isn't it? where it's just like one after the other. Everything's just kind of wiped out. And what do you think Naomi must be thinking about now? She's thinking, what in the world have we done? We left our home, we left our family back in Bethlehem. Yeah, times were bad, but now it's a lot worse. And so she does what probably most of us would do. She starts thinking and dreaming about her family back home, and she decides, I'm I'm leaving this place, and I'm going back to Bethlehem. And so she prepares to go. And um, and these two daughters-in-law who have been married to her sons, they love Naomi, and they don't want to leave her. And so they they kind of profess their commitment to her, and they literally start following her along the way. And here's what Naomi says. In I mean, uh, yeah, Naomi says in verse eight, she said to her two daughters-in-law, "Go, you return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and." with me and um, you know she she's saying just go go back to your own home well Orpah took her up on this but Ruth makes a statement that I think should be right up there at the top of the list of great faith statements this is one you you, you need to tuck away and remember listen to this and you see the faith of Ruth as it's portrayed in her commitment to Naomi listen Parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Isn't that great? What a great, great statement of faith. Some of you recognize that phrase, by the way. Tell, you know, tell death to us part. Where would you hear that? At a wedding, right? And in vows that that we would take, and yet that's between a husband and a wife. Just think about this. This is not a husband and wife. This is a a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. That kind of Can you imagine at a wedding ceremony getting to a point and you turn and you face the parent, you know, or the in-law and say, wherever you go, we'll go. Man, we'll be there right with you. wherever you, we, that, that tradition did not gain any traction, right? <laughs> but we do it as a married couple. And, and that's the faith statement that Ruth makes. And Naomi basically says, all right, all right, you're going to come with me. And so they make their way back to Bethlehem. And by the way, just to give you some perspective geographically, it's not that far. In fact, you can see Moab from Jerusalem. In fact, there's some spots even in Bethlehem, which isn't far from Jerusalem, where you can see the mountains of Moab. They're just on the other side of the Dead Sea. You've heard of Mount Nebo where, where Moses died? That's part of Moab. And you can see the top of that. You can see that from that area. So it's not that far, but she makes her way back and um, Bethlehem is a, is a small little village, probably 150 to 200 people max that live there. That's why we sing the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I'll tell you today, it's not changed a whole lot. It's still, I mean, it's a little more modern and hustling bustling, but it's still like this little village uh, perched up on the hill, overlooking the hillsides, and they go back. And, um, and now they try to resettle. Here's the circumstances it unfolds, is that um, Naomi gets back, and it's a big deal. Everybody remembers her, they know the family, their family members, and they're saying, Naomi's home, Naomi's home, and they're making a big deal about it, but now you can hear the frustration of Naomi in her words. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. And uh, remember, what did Naomi mean? What what did her name mean? Remember, pleasant and uh, sweetness. She says, don't call me pleasant anymore because I'm not pleasant. She said, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? Can you sense just a, a little bit of bitterness in her voice? a little frustration, maybe even anger at God. God, why have you done this? Why has this happened to me? This is where our story begins to kind of relate. Some of us have gone through circumstance, great or small, but you know, when we go through a setback, through a difficulty, a disappointment like that, when you think you've got something, you've got the hope for it, and all of a sudden, boom, it's not what you expected. Do you ever go to God and say, God, why why did you do this? Why did you allow this? And so she's kind of revealing a bit of that. But she goes back home. The Lord knows exactly what's going on. So here's what happens as things begin to unfold. Um, you know, and, and this, this sense of, of loss that she's feeling um, is, is just all over her. You can hear it in her tone, and in her, in her voice. Friends, I wanna, you know, even as we go further in this, the question I guess I'd ask us is, do you believe that you have to make that loss your identity or your defining moment? Is that who you are? Is that what it's all about? I gotta be honest, I've, I've walked through these kinds of roads with folks over the years, and sometimes when something like that happens, they get stuck right at that point. And everything else is gonna be filtered through, through that moment or that event. Some of these events are tragic, I understand. And yet I've watched the faith I've got some that are very close and I've watched their faith as they haven't let that moment define them. They've moved on in faith and in trust in God, even in the worst possible scenarios that life can throw at you. And Naomi is at that point right now. Some of you may be at that point right now, but here's what unfolds. Here's how the story continues. Ruth, the next scene opens up and we find her on the fringes of a, of a field, uh, picking up grain that, that is left over. And in case you're not, under, you, you, you're not aware, in Israel, they had laws, and the, they didn't really have social security system. They didn't have welfare. The, what they did is they said, if you've got a field of crops, you would leave the margin around that field open and not harvest that, but you would leave that open for those who don't have enough and who could go and glean from that. So here's Naomi, and that's exactly what she's doing. It's not a very glamorous picture, quite honestly, of this young lady that's doing this. It'd be uh, comparable today to somebody picking up aluminum cans on the side of the road, and you're just kind of thinking, wow, is that, is that what they've kind of resorted to? But she's out there doing this because, you know, they got to live. And unbeknownst to her, there's a guy that's the owner of the field that is watching her. He is a... He is a, a wealthy, single, Jewish man, faithful, and he's watching her, and uh, doesn't know the whole background or the story. Doesn't know that she's a Moabite, which is again, remember, keep just always tuck away, enemy of God, foreigner. But here she is, and she's gleaning from the field. Well, Naomi starts getting her little wheels spinning. And maybe we would call it playing Cupid, that's kind of what we say today. She's gonna to try, to, try to kind of manipulate or maybe put some of these circumstances together. And so initially, as we're introduced now to this concept of a family redeemer, okay, a family redeemer, Naomi knows the law and she knows that background. And so she says, she goes, she had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And uh, again, the law, the background here was that, uh, in fact, I put it there in, in Deuteronomy. It says, if, a brother dwells toge- if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger, but her husband's brother shall go unto her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a, husband, a husband's brother to her. So the concept was, is that if you, if you had stuff, if you had property or you had whatever, and Elimelech did, and, and now it's passed down, that he's gone and his sons are gone. Everything he has that now Naomi kind of embodies uh, is, is now not just available, but it is the responsibility of a family member to come along, of Elimelech's clan, to come along and purchase that or, or to take that responsibility. It wasn't just property. It was person, persons as well. So in this case, the wife of the sons that had died, the Ruth was among those that would be encompassed in this. Okay, you guys got the picture. So Naomi knows this. She knows that Boaz is a relative. And so here's the plan. Here's the plan. She says to Ruth, she says, my daughter, no, she calls her a daughter at this point. Should I not seek rest for you that it might be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women that you were? He's that guy. He's that guy that had his eye on you. And so she comes up with this plan, and she says, I want you to get all cleaned up, all dressed up, and maybe a little perfume, the best thing you've got to wear. Boaz is going to be sleeping in the barn later, later this afternoon, later tonight. He's going to be tired. He's going to fall asleep. I want you to go in there and just, just lay at his feet. And it, it kind of sounds a little fishy, all right? I understand how it sounds and it looks, but that's not the reality. The reality was is that Naomi was saying, you present yourself as a, as a potential bride. That's what she was doing, pure and simple. And so when Boaz wakes up and he sees her, uh, he's startled. You know, what, what are you doing here? And if you catch it, he says, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. There's, now we get this word. You're the one that has not only the right, but the responsibility to assume care for myself and for for Naomi and and, and for us. And Boaz's response is, you know what? Because apparently, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but she must have been attractive, and there was something about her that he was naturally drawn to, and he kind of liked this idea. He was not repelled by it. And he wanted to see this happen. And so he says, don't you worry about a thing. Everything will be taken care of. But there was a problem. There was a dilemma. Uh, Boaz knew that there was somebody else in the family that actually had first right of refusal, we'll say. And and that relationship was such that he, he knew he couldn't rightfully take this step unless that person declined the opportunity now, if you read, we won't take time to go there, but, but let me just paraphrase it for you. He basically comes and he presents the situation. He says, you know, you've got a, a right, yes, a, even a responsibility to assume this as Naomi's relative, as Emelech's clan, that you need to assume, you know, and purchase the property. And the guy's probably going, hmm, you know. But then he kind of throws in this. He says, but if you do that, you're also going to have to assume this Moabite woman. This, this foreign, this pagan woman that she brought with her. Now, I don't know if he hadn't seen Ruth or whatever, but, but it'd be like if you were selling your house and you'd say, man, I got a great deal on this house. It's cheap. It's, uh, man, you can't pass it up. But there's this mother-in-law suite up here in the corner and the mother-in-law's got to go along with it. <laughs> All right? You see what I'm saying? You kind of, okay, you can get this, you know, very cheap, but you're going to have to take this. And... I think he presents that, and the guy says, you know, after second thought, I think I'm going to pass on this one. And Boaz is probably inside leaping for joy because he really wanted to to marry Ruth. And so that's exactly what happens. He becomes the family redeemer. And what a beautiful story. And so as you, you hear this unfold, you can just almost sense his exhilaration As all this now comes into play, look at, if you have your Bibles open, look at chapter four. I'm gonna back up from what I I, uh, printed there, but look at, start with verse seven, okay? Verse seven, he says, now this was the custom in former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. In other words, this is like signing a contract. So when the redeemer, meaning the guy that had the first right of refusal, when he said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal and Boaz said to the elders and all of the people, your witness is this day that I have bought from the land of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kelon and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You're all witnesses to this this day, okay? And so, um, so the, the beautiful thing as the story unfolds, he marries Ruth and after some time you see the faithfulness of God and and that he blesses them, not only their marriage, and taking care of them now. Remember how we started off with Naomi? She had nothing. She was in desperate condition. No hope. No hope, really. Husband was gone. Her sons were gone. And now God suddenly has just poured out blessing and the faithfulness of God. And we read in chapter uh, 4, verse 14, then The woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. And then uh, verse 17, and the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name. In other words, they had a baby. They had a baby, and they named the baby um, Obed. And and then we see this story unfold in, in God's economy of things. That's where I kind of want to drive home today just as we wind this all down. Two things I want to press on you for an application. Here's the first thing. I just want to remind us that when when a story is written when God's a part of it there is always more to the story than what we can see with our own eyes. When you walked in this morning and when we started down this path and we talked about disappointments or even losses this year you've opened a package and you think oh I'm deflated. I'm I'm so I'm so disappointed maybe in, in what God has allowed happen. But friends, there is more to it than what you can see. And in this case, as Naomi is holding this precious little baby, this this, this blessing from God, Obed, who would have known that Obed would give birth to a son named Jesse? And that Jesse would have a bunch of boys, and one of his boys' name was David. And the lineage. And now you know why this story is a Christmas story. This is why Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. This is why the baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem, was because Joseph's clan, Joseph's family, dates all the way back to this story we're reading right now. In fact, if you were to look at Matthew chapter 1, great late night reading, by the way, name after name after name. We call them a genealogy. And guy, I don't know about you, but I mean, a lot of commercials these days for the ancestry and go and dig in your background and all that, and there's something about finding out two or three or four generations. Friends, you're, you're, you're talking about 14, 14, and 14. That's what, 42 generations that you're gonna trace Jesus back to. And is that not in and of itself a miracle? You're talking 2,000 years of family history. And the names that are planted there forever for us to see in the word of God, right there in the middle of it, is Boaz. And not all the names have the wives mentioned, but right next to Boaz's name is, and his wife was Ruth. A Moabite, a foreigner that God has enfolded into the story of Jesus, our Jesus, the Redeemer. He modeled this redemption about purchasing what we could not purchase. Jesus Christ, in case you don't know, friends, we're all foreigners. Would you agree? We are all outside. In fact, sin, what we call sin, is exactly what we're born into, and we are cut off from a relationship with God. You are not born a Christian, You are not born a believer. Maybe you know about him and maybe you've been raised in an environment where that's all you heard, but we're born separated and something has to restore that relationship. It has to be mended. And there's nothing you and I can do to do that ourselves. There's no works, there's no amount of service, there's no amount of sitting in a, a, you know, a church or uh, reading your body, there's nothing we can do. It's only what our Redeemer has done. He's the only one that could purchase our pardon. A few minutes ago you held a cup and a piece of bread and because we're reminded that it was his body that was on the cross and it was his blood, the covenant of his blood, that made this possible. And I suppose that's the fundamental question today You know, have you trusted the Redeemer to redeem you and exchange your sin for the hope that he has, for the life that he has? God wants you to abound in hope. Would you say that's your story today? Are you abounding in hope? This is what God wants, and you're going to find that Jesus is here right now, and he wants to come alongside of you, and he wants to exchange the things that has robbed you of that hope, that has, that has taken that away from you, whatever that might be. And there's one other really cool thing about this. Because as you look at that lineage, not only was Ruth the Moabite enfolded in, but do you know who Boaz's mother was? Rahab, the prostitute. You remember the story at Jericho when, when they came in and they, they, the spies checked out the new land and and they snuck into the city, and they saw Rahab, and they said, listen, if you will if you'll save us, if you will if protect us, and, and, and you'd identify your family by putting a, a, a scarlet cord. Wow, talk about the symbolism, the scarlet cord that was out to identify your family. We will save your family. We will protect you from the destruction that's going to happen. Your faith Rahab is going to save you from what's, what's going to destroy all of the rest of these folks around you. And by faith, that's exactly what she did. She was saved. She joins the, the group as they move on. She marries a man named Solomon, and her and Solomon have a little baby boy, and they name him Boaz. That's where he came from. So not only was Ruth enfolded in, but here is this, again, pagan prostitute that has been full, and her name is right there in Matthew chapter 1 in the lineage that leads up to Jesus. What a beautiful thing. And all this is just to fir- affirm, God is in control, amen? He knows it all. He knows your story from the beginning to the end and even beyond. He knows exactly where you're at right now and what you're facing, whether it's sickness or a relational breakdown or financial setback or um, you know, whatever it is that life has thrown. He knows this and he cares about you. And he's got it in his hands, in his control, if we will trust him as our family redeemer. He wants to do that. And today, as we just begin to close in prayer, I'm just hoping that your trust, your faith, will be put into him, that that our eyes are focused on him. He is faithful. We're going to profess that through a song in just a moment. He is faithful, and we're going to be in a posture, a position of waiting upon him for what he wants to unfold in our lives, your lives and mine. So let's stand together and I wanna pray over you and we'll move into that time. Whatever God may be saying to you today, let's commit it to him. And if you're here today and perhaps you've never trusted Jesus as your redeemer, as your savior, you know, today as, as I pray, maybe there's a portion of this prayer that we'll just talk with you and maybe today's that day you want to profess that faith in the Lord. Let's, let's do that. Lord, thank you so much that you hear us, that you uh, care ab- about us, that you love us with an everlasting love. You are in this room right now. What an exciting thought. You know our thoughts. You know our deeds. You, you know our setbacks and our losses and our pain. You know everything about it. Nothing has caught you off guard. Sometimes we treat you that way, like, Lord, do you really know what's going on? And like Naomi's frustration, we'd say, oh, you've, you've delivered us a, a bitterness. But we see how this was redeemed in exchange for a story that just is nothing less than amazing. And I'm praying over each one here, every man, woman, and child that is in this room, that they have, they have reached out and trusted you for that, that very redemption that you offer. To exchange our our loss for what is is so much more gain. That you exchanged our disappointment for joy. More than anything else, Lord, that you've exchanged the death that is a result of sin in our life for a new life that is found in Jesus Christ. This morning as we're quiet, and our heads are bowed, I just ask you, have you ever trusted Christ for what he's offered you? scripture says he's standing at the door and knocking on your heart and just he's not gonna tear it down but he'll come in at your invitation have you ever invited him to come in maybe today's a day that you just want to say in your heart of hearts lord i'm coming to you today and i lay my life before you i'm inviting you into my heart today i'm trusting you for my salvation i believe in you jesus and i'm asking you to forgive me my sin would you give me the power from now on to live in a way that, that's going to please you? I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. When you hear those prayers, I know that lives are changed, transformed like nothing else could. So I just pray we'll see the fruit of those decisions that even were made today. We wait on you, Lord. We stand before you with, with everything that we've got, and we want to lay it at your feet and exchange it for the hope, the hope, Uh, that you bring us, even this Christmas. We do this all in Jesus' name. Amen.